0: Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the newly rebranded hybrid podcast. Um, Because calling your podcast What a Terrible Idea is a terrible idea. Um, So we've got an excellent episode today that we are particularly excited to bring to you with uh, Greg Slater of Lift the Bar fame. Greg is a genius on all things training and nutrition Um, And we're talking a little bit today with him about nutritional periodization, some of the tools that that encompasses, um, what exactly diet fatigue is and why thinking of nutrition a little bit like a training program might be a good idea and including things like diet breaks um, could be useful to you and how you can go about doing that yourself as well if you're not working with a coach. Uh, But first, a couple of announcements. Last week, the hybrid handstand ebook went on sale, um, which we are ridiculously excited about. So, it's the first of a series of ebooks um, that we're going to release, sort of trying to encompass all of the hybrid training system. So, this breaks down how to go from never having done a handstand to nailing your first 15 second freestanding handstand. Breaks everything down from crawling, mobility patterns, just learning to kick up and then just like building some strength and capacity in your shoulders to nail your first 15 second handstand. So that is available on the website now. We also have, to go alongside that, um, if you bought it and you're interested in getting a bit of hands-on coaching, our next handstand workshop in Bristol on the 20th of July. Um, still some spaces available on that if you would like to come along. So we'll be going through all the stuff that's in the ebook, crawling, really breaking it down And um, making that sort of accessible to everyone. So if handstands are something you're interested in, definitely try and make it along to that. And then finally, we have the hybrid games on the 31st of August. uh, 10 o'clock, Sweatbox Gym Bristol. It's going to be a day of such ridiculous things as egg and spoon races, cake competitions, both making, decorating and eating. Um, I will be definitely taking part in the cake eating competitions. Um, But then there'll be some serious fitness involved as well. Some treasure hunts, lots of hugs, lots of laughing, lots of ice cream, and just generally celebrating all the things uh, that we love about fitness and life. So that'd be excellent if you'd like to join us. It's gonna be 10 pound per player, teams of four. Don't worry if you can't raise a full team of four. Um, Just turn up, sign up online, and we'll make sure you have a team to play with. Um, if you can get a team together, that would be excellent. So bring all your mates, come do some fitness, come eat some ice cream. It's a great tagline, that is. Um, but I think that's everything that you need for the introduction. Welcome, Greg Slater. So it is my pleasure to introduce Greg Slater to the What A Terrible Idea podcast. Hello, Greg. How are you doing, gents? You all right? We're all good, ta. Huh? We're all good. So, first question, going to try and trip you up straight away. What's your favourite dinosaur,
1: Greg? Don't have any. Dinosaurs of shit. Ooh. Right.
0: Uh, cut the podcast. <laughs> He's a dickhead. <laughs> not, Get him off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure we can go further. We'll <laughs> You don't like dinosaurs? No, come on. We, we, we don't like care about any else. giant lizards that out. kill things.
1: No, yeah, I, I, I get, I know, I get from like an evolutionary perspective, they're unbelievable but it's just not something that's ever really, on, okay, that's, my imagination or interest got to be honest, oh, come chance. Come on, be
2: realistic now Do then. you want like the ones that fly, <laughs> or the ones that swim, or the ones that walk on the land?
0: Are you one of those Facebook, Facebook quizzes? <laughs> What dinosaur are I'm you gonna create a, to find out? To
2: create a flow chart to, to find out what, Greg, what
1: dinosaur Greg. Yeah, if if I absolutely had to give an answer, I would say I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, well Okay, Spinosaurus, great answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fly flying one, the flying one. That's fine, Greg. Everyone's entitled to an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right, well now that you've ruined my day, let's do some podcasting, shall we? <laughs> Um, we always start with the fact of the day. So what have you got? I'm assuming it's not about dinosaurs.
1: Disappointing. Hopefully I can redeem myself here. So um, I was just saying, so if, you've, if you haven't read the book by Bill Bryson called A Short History of Nearly Anything, then it's unbelievable. Like um, just for a brief history of basically the world and how it developed together. So I've got a couple. So the first one is that if um, to our Earth's core, It's about three and a half thousand miles, right? And if we dug a well um, and we dropped a brick from the top of the surface to get to the core, it would take about 45 minutes due to changes in air pressure and and gravity and things like that. Now, that gives you a a perspective on how small we are. Now, consider that of one of the uh, potential uh, galaxies that holds other life, the nearest one is probably 200 light years away. So even if that we are not the only people that are alive in this earth or in this universe, the the chances of them looking at us and seeing us, if you were to wave at them now, they wouldn't see us for 200 years. So even if there is extraterrestrial life and they can see us, they'd be looking at earth from 200 years ago. They wouldn't be seeing us now. They'd be seeing the French revolution. They'd be seeing the 1800s, which I think is absolutely incredible. So does that count as a fact?
2: Definitely counts as an uh, interesting fact for sure. That's a very interesting fact. Um, although,
0: are there dinosaurs in that book? <laughs> <laughs>
2: there are, I just looking
1: forward to skip it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent fact.
2: Yeah, no. Thinking about like how massive the universe is and how crazy all that sort of shit is is just like literally one of my favorite things to do,
1: mate. If you listen to that that book and it's just like everything about it like how it was created the chances of it being created the chances that we're still here so there's another little one so just listen to this right i'll read it because otherwise i won't get it right (laughs) consider the fact that for 3.8 billion years a period of time that's older than the earth's mountains rivers and oceans every one of your forebearers on both sides of your families has been attractive enough to find a mate healthy enough to reproduce and sufficiently blessed by fate and circumstances to live long enough to do so not one of your pertinent ancestors would squashed, devoured, drowned, starved, stranded, struck fast, un- uh, untimely wounded, or otherwise deflected from its life's quest of delivering a tiny charge of genetic material to the right partner, at the right moment, in the right order, to perpetuate the only possible sequence of hereditary combinations that could result eventually, astoundingly, and all too briefly, in you." Wow. wow. You sound a bit like,
3: have you ever seen Jason Silver and the videos that he puts together? Yeah. He classes himself as an epiphanist, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> or a futurist or something like that. Um, but yeah, that was excellent reading, yeah. it,
1: mate. The
3: uh, maybe, maybe a little bit too intense for a bedtime story.
1: Yeah. For 3.8 billion years, some sort of genetic material has been passed along in whatever amount to whatever people to come up with you like if anything was ever yeah. so slightly differently it wouldn't be you
2: no but <laughs> and, and, and each of the um each of those that like, reproductive um each each ancestor you go back they had like a one in 400 quadrillion chance of being them
1: yeah so, so do them yeah multiply it out it's just <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous that you are you yeah it's fucking it yeah that, that is mental. crazy
3: Ali's been doing fact checks on everything you've been saying. About that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah.
2: Uh, be prepared for that to continue through the whole podcast. <laughs> I had to do a really hard conversion of miles to kilometres oh. when you gave us the answer in
1: miles. For the to yeah,
2: why do you give it in miles?
1: Why did I give it in miles? Horrible measurement. That's just tradition, isn't it? It's what we do in the UK. We don't give kilometres. They're much better, though, aren't they? Yeah. Even much you think that.
2: Even me. My dinosaur
1: <laughs> hating wage, yeah.
0: But he was in the, uh, in the military,
2: wasn't he? He was in the military. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Starting school Miles.
2: My, oh, yeah, we should ask him about his, his, his background, shouldn't we? What's what? our first question? Shall tell we? us a bit about your background. Greg, tell us a bit about your background, mate. <laughs> Not the background behind you. <laughs>
0: But for anyone wondering, you Greg can't... has a wall full of L T V. Actually,
2: what Greg has is, uh, Greg has a wall of Tom Morgan behind him.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is my secret fanboy room. I, I thought I was just gonna be on audio and it happens to be videos, so and that's really embarrassing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Don't worry, mate, we're not recording it, but so we'll probably we'll take a few screenshots.
1: Um all right, yeah, my a bit of my background, so um, least athletic of a pretty athletic family, I'd say, so started kind of going to the gym about fifteen sneaking off at lunchtime to like go to the gym in between school and that kind of stuff and I just fell in love with it loved it uh went to do my sport and exercise science degree at university which led absolutely nowhere and I'll be honest I was just a horrific student at the time I just loved going out and didn't really like doing any work which was a great combination um, fell fell into the kind of family business which is basically teaching everyone in our family is a is a teacher PE teacher pretty much mum dad auntie uncle brother sisters Wife, sister in law. Really, uh, pretty much everyone a teacher. So I did that for a little bit, but then I like, could find myself at lunch times, uh, like looking at the CrossFit journal and stuff like that. Because at that time, I was like, I, did, I think maybe the second um, certificate CrossFit certification in the UK, like fucking 12, 13 years ago. Something stupid like that, a long, long time ago. Um, Realized that I liked teaching people, but I didn't like kids. So kind of got out of teaching and went and joined the uh, Royal Air Force as a physical training instructor. Uh, carried on doing all my training stuff there for a bit and then realized I didn't like taking orders from people who were thick so I kind of left that and moved on to um, being self-employed and then uh, found Chris at Lift the Bar who offered me a position to take up head of education which I've kind of done for the last four years or so I'd say Um, and then we've kind of got our own PT course going on so shout out to Becky who asked me to who mentioned that she I might be a good guest on here so she's doing well on the course so Hey, Bex, hey, dear. So that's kind of me, um, bit of a meandering road, always loved fitness, just done slightly different roads, different tasks, I suppose, along the road. Sorry. It's a quality okay. story, to be fair. Yeah.
2: Is it true you are a quad?
1: I am, and actually, this is probably the best fact of them all. A quad? I'm the, quad. I'm the world's tallest quad.
2: That is a great fact.
0: You're the world's tallest quad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Elaborate.
2: How is Amber this not your leading fact of the day? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well well, I say that. I'm the tallest of the four, and I don't know any of the quads who are taller than me, so I'm, <laughs> I'm the world's tallest quad. Gosh, but so yeah, but we were right actually the, the window, world's, window, world's, then. world's first double set of non heterozygous twins, they're boy girl, boy girl twins. Wow, that it's is, crazy, isn't it? Yeah.
2: That's yeah. I meant was that is also brutal you told me once that um, your parents were hoping for one child.
1: Yeah, well, so we've got an older sister who's fifteen months older, and then they wanted a second, and they got four more basically.
0: <laughs> oh, they must have been gutted.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they tell a pretty cool story of like, um, obviously back in the day the scans weren't that great, so it's kind of like just looking for heartbeats, and then obviously they put it on my mom, and it was just kind of like, and like, okay, we well, think the machine's broken. Go and get another machine. Same thing happened again. Got a third machine, and then they got like more and more doctors in the room. And eventually, they were like, "Yeah, we think there's four in there." And it was like, "Oh fuck!" (laughs) 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 And but to be fair, my my dad's solution was to play about 120 games of football a year. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Get (laughs) in the house (laughs) as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Which I can't blame him. To be fair, must have been an absolute nightmare. Fair play, mate. That's quality. Yeah.
2: World's tallest quad. Yeah, that's a, add, that's a great fact. Hates dinosaurs, yeah. loves <laughs> <laughs> World of Gosh. I think quite
1: it's. The
0: Tinder profile, I could write on your right Well,
1: Wow, if, if me and Carly ever go down the shitter, mate, I'll give you a ring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Might make it's my hobby, writing Tinder profiles for all our uh, podcast guests. Yeah, that's a great idea, mate. We
2: could, <laughs> we, we could add it to um, our coaching uh, package. get get coached and get a free free copyright written by by your Tinder profile
1: I think the key would be to get them a really good picture and then basically train them to look like that picture later on
3: oh we can just get Matt to design them one their hybrid hero avatar oh yeah that's true
0: yeah
1: pretty sick too is he the one that does all the stuff in your uh, in the guides and stuff like that
0: yeah yeah that's sick too fair Quality. Matt is an excellent illustrator.
2: Unbelievable at drawing things, isn't he? Yeah, the Hansseni book looks so good. Isn't
1: yeah. <coughs> so good. Um, One of the things I'm I'm absolutely useless to all that stuff, and I just love to be better at it. You know, like mm. any kind of creative stuff like that. I'm pathetic to anyone that's good at it. Like, fair play to them. There's real talent. Yeah, for
2: yeah, sure. I can draw a stick man badly. <laughs> I where my talents. <laughs> <laughs> go <and stop>. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. The other day, I was at um, I was at my mum's house, and she was like. What it'd be to throw away loads of loads of like clothes and old bits and stuff. And Danny was looking through one of my school books and she's like, Your writing is the same now as it was when you were in year six. <laughs> I think mine's probably actually got worse to be yeah.
3: fair.
0: I can't understand your writing at all. Oh well, I did it too quickly, didn't I? It just looks like someone's
2: in a fit while they're <laughs> <laughs> <in there. laughs> In school, you're taught to like join up, yeah, yeah. always write in lowercase. And you leave school, you're like, I'm just gonna put random capitals <laughs> in different places. We just start, a little this bit. Is how, <laughs> it, this is how illiterate writes.
1: <laughs> is that how you get like, creative? Mine mm. <laughs> is shit, and I'm left handed. So when you were taught at school, we used to have to write in ink, like proper ink, not like a bar or whatever. And I'd just be like, I wouldn't turn the page, I'd just be smudging shit, and I was writing, and I was just like, <laughs> Crap, like, like, and it's just not got any better since then, really. So, thank fuck for computers, otherwise, I'd be unemployed.
3: You must be the tallest left handed quad for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: if we keep adding parameters, I'll be somewhere where I'm doing all right, but definitely. <laughs> all right, Greg, should we get into some nutrition, mate?
1: Probably good, That's probably good idea go by now.
2: All right, so can you give us a brief overview of what nutritional periodization is? and um why it's an important why you think it's an important thing to consider
1: yeah cool so i think um one of, one of my jobs to lift the bar is trying to take theory and ideas or whatever it might be and help people understand them in a way they've maybe not considered them before so quite a lot of trainers consider you know uh, we've gone from this place in the industry or a lot of good personal trainers now they don't just think about writing a session plan and make someone tired they think about writing a long-term training plan of which you might have different phases and each phase has got different tools that might be appropriate within each phase however when it comes to diet and nutrition people were still like very myopic very kind of oh and um, do if it fits your macros or do intermittent fasting or do whatever it is and they're kind of like tools and people weren't really thinking too much about how to plan things out long term So if you look at all the diet literature, basically it gets to about six months of dieting and the vast majority of people end up returning back to similar weights that they had before, because it's basically like saying, I'm going to keep adding weight on the bar linearly for the next six months. I'm going to keep doing that every training session. Obviously at some point you can't keep doing that shit. So basically all I try to do with the course or this concept of nutritional periodization is say, right, even if you've got a long-term goal, that goal probably needs to be broken up into different phases with different goals within them, and then we can break up each phase of training just like you would do with your actual Sorry, each phase of dieting, as you would do your your phase of um, physical training, if that makes sense. So, just to give you a really quick example, let's say somebody comes to me and says, "Greg, I really want to lose five stone." All right. So, typically, what most people would have done was go, "Okay, we'll put you in this calorie calorie deficit, and we'll keep helping you lose weight until you." straight line go down to the body weight you want and then hopefully you know what you're doing and you'll just kind of carry on maintaining your body weight but we know most people can't do that they only want to diet for a certain amount of time so we'll say right let's diet for six eight ten weeks depending on how um how big the deficit is and then after that we're going to go into the weight loss maintenance phase where we're going to practice living life maintaining this weight and then when you feel um, a little bit better, and I think we're going to maybe talk about diet fatigue later on, but when you feel a little bit better, then we might move back into a dieting phase. So that would be big picture. And then if we look at each individual phase of dieting itself, so that first weight loss phase, I'm thinking, am I going to be dieting for all six weeks? Am I going to have any breaks during some of those weeks? Maybe it's because I'm just getting too hungry or I've got loads of people at work. And then even down to a daily basis, so we know that most people don't want to live the same Monday to Sunday. They want to kind of live a certain way Monday to Friday, and they want to have a little bit more leniency on the weekend. So basically, um, can I set the diet up to make them feel most supported when they need it and have most flexibility when they need it, as opposed to this singular idea of you've got one diet and that's going to fit all situations regardless of, the phase of dieting, the week of dieting, the day of dieting and all that kind of thing. So a bit of a long rambling answer there, gents, but hopefully there's something to uh, pick apart and it makes a bit of sense.
2: No, that's perfect, mate. It does. It makes perfect sense, actually. Um, you explained that really, really nicely. There's um, <clears throat> a little bit of, um, I can't remember, I read this ages ago, but there's uh, two-thirds of dieters end up fatter within um, three years. So literally, if you want to be leaner, you're better off the stats say you're better off not dieting in the first place because you will be Dieter, better.
1: Not evidence-based. Right. <laughs> like, like it, none of it, if you look at all of it, so I think you're probably talking to the Anderson paper, I think it was like 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. something like that, that basically showed, yeah, within three years, the vast majority of dieters have come back to their regular weight and more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the National Weight Loss Registry are an exception to that and we kind of look to them as to how we could do things long-term to help people keep the weight off. Um, but the, the, the main, the, the big problem with it as well is, well, there's loads of problems, but one of them is that we've kind of been, as personal, trainer, or personal trainers, we've been shoehorned into weight loss experts and actually physical activity is pretty crap for Uh, creating fat loss so i think it's roughly if you just start a weight loss intervention without any dietary intervention on average you'll lose about three percent of your body weight so obviously it's going to do very little um, but then also we know the body calories in calories out is very dynamic the body has got some tools in its arsenal to kind of put the handbrake on you burning less calories so you slow down that calorie deficit but for the vast majority of people the reason they return back to their weight is not because they've their metabolism's crashed or metabolic adaptation, damage, whatever stupid terms someone's going to use, it's because they've started eating more again. So actually the key to long-term success when it comes to weight loss and weight loss maintenance is helping people continue to eat less calories, basically. And, and then we promote exercise for all the amazing things that it can do outside of weight loss, all the stuff that you guys kind of um, you know talk about and promote. So that that's the big one. So when you start to look at that research, you go, right, well, if it comes down to dietary adherence, that's why we probably need more than just, here's your diet, keep sticking at it. Oh, I know you're not doing too well, but keep digging in, you know, keep trying. Well, obviously, you can do that so many times before people just give up. And that's one of the big problems why we get that stat that you just talked about, Ali.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, um, yeah, the way you describe that is it does make, people always talk about trying to fit a diet to a person. And what they try and do is fit a diet to a person. And that is literally yeah. like, it's that's that, that is exactly what you're saying is just a terrible idea. You're trying to find a way that they can eat as few calories as they can maintain for a period of time that um, allows them to sort of live a life that they don't, don't mind living for a period and then learn how to live at that new body weight. And like you yeah. said, that might be Monday to Friday, they do some intermittent fasting. Saturday, Sunday, they have a bit more freedom around their eating. So that that's that um, day-to-day cycle. And then over the month, you might have like a two or three day diet break, and over the every six weeks they've actually got like a two, or, a two or three week diet break or whatever it is.
1: That's absolutely it. And so um, I wrote a piece about four years ago now called the nutritional tracking continuum, and that's basically different ways that you can use on a daily basis to um, kind of structure your diet a little bit. But that's literally just a tool. And then our job as if we're going to help give people nutritional advice, or you're looking for your own um, nutritional advice to help yourself. It's, a, it's literally a case of becoming a creative problem solver. So what problems do people have and then wh- how can I apply whatever tool I've got to help them in that situation? So even simple things like saying, right, I, you know, um, I'm know i supposed to be doing this if, if it fits your macros thing, but in the evenings... I'm starving hungry or I just know that food's in the fridge. Okay, so what can we do? We can look at lower calorie options. We can be removing it from the house. We can look at backloading your calories. We can look at giving you some fun calories to track. So maybe you don't have to track everything, but the only thing you track is the amount of junk food you eat and you've got 300 calories a day. I don't know. There's, there's no perfect answer for all this stuff. It's literally like, what's your problem? What solutions can we come up with? And then we'll implement it. So I think one of the things people think when they first start to hear this is sounds a bit complicated, Greg. You know, we've got phases of dieting. We've got different weeks where we're doing different things. Different days where we're doing different things, don't make it any more complicated than it needs to be, but oftentimes it needs to be a little bit more tailored to the individual than just here's your high, low, and medium calorie days. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you giving them those days? Or how does it fit their lifestyle? If I've got a client who works away every fifth week and they get really stressed about stuff, or well, maybe it's a case of me helping them choose better foods when they're away, but also just saying, hey, we're going to take a diet break in those weeks, and that's going to help manage diet fatigue, which talk about in a second so when you come back in you can diet again basically how can we just set people up for success regardless of the the phase they're in and knowing that you can't just constantly restrict yourself in terms of calories and just think it's going to continue to happen forever because at some point people get to that kind of place where they're like this is shit i don't want to do it anymore um and so the analogy i'll use i often use is that the if helping people think of things as a dim switch and not an on off switch yeah. So, for example, if I'm in a dieting phase, I'm turning things up high, I'm working really hard, I don't mind being a little bit fatigued, I don't mind a little bit being a bit hungry because weight's coming off. But when that gets a little bit too much, we're going to turn the dial down, we're going to help you live life a little bit easier, we're going to take some of that restraint away from you so you can recharge your batteries and then you can go again. So I think that's a really important thing. If most people take one thing away from it, if they're not that happy with the dieting thing, it's not an on-off switch, it's a dimmer switch that we turn up or down. Yeah, that's
2: a great way of trying to quantify Exactly, because everyone you hear, everyone seems to think they're an all or nothing kind of person. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm, just, I'm either on it or I'm off it. And it's like, <laughs> that is just a great way of saying, do you know what? You're never really probably ever fully on it and likewise you're never really properly fully off it. And if you build that mentality into the way you think, it's going to make your life so much harder than if you just turn it up a little bit, turn it down a little bit, depending on what's going on in the rest of your life.
1: 100%. And, and there's there's two big problems with that as well. I think it's because oftentimes people think that the weight loss phase is a diet full stop, mm-hmm. but actually it's one phase of a diet, right? So actually anyone that comes to me and we talk about weight loss, the most important thing we probably talk about is what happens when that weight loss phase ends. You know what, and we talk about there is a maintenance phase. That's actually part of the process. So it's no longer on and off. It's mm-hmm. that's still part of the process. There's still stuff we're focusing on. But if all you ever know how to lose weight is like literally just you know the sawdust diet or whatever you're you're going to do, mm-hmm. and then you get to the next phase, you're like I don't want to keep eating sawdust now. What do I do? I've got no tools in my toolbox. <laughs> you're, like, you're absolutely fucked, right? So that's one thing. And then also it's that ability. If you think of that dimmer switch again, let's say we've had people that. Have um, been tracking calories for ages because a lot. Of, some people like to do it, some people don't. Okay, I'll, I'll work with the person to find what they like. But then you're like, well, you shouldn't really have to track for the rest of your life. Some people might go, oh, stop tracking. But for for a lot of individuals, that will cause anxiety because that's like tracking's their safety blanket. So again, we take that idea of a dim switch to find what someone's comfortable with. Okay, if you're not tra- comfortable with removing all tracking, what about removing tracking for one day? So you track for six days, one day a week, you don't track. And then after a certain amount of time, we don't track for two days. And after a certain amount of time, we don't track for three days. But if that's too much for somebody, okay, can you not track for breakfast on a Monday? Because you know what you have on a Monday anyway. Yeah, all right, now can you do breakfast on a Monday, Tuesday? And then you build it in that way. So we can just turn whatever whatever tools that person's been using, we can just turn those up and down depending on the, the phase that they're in as well. So that helps to get over that little idea of I'm all or I'm nothing. And we'll just show them there's kind of better and worse for that for the for the stage that they're in but there's not on or off and i think that's the big problem with you know detox teas or whatever it is if that's if, if all you know in a in a weight loss plan is the weight loss phase you're missing out a huge part of it which is the weight loss maintenance phase
2: yeah they're, they're all excellent points but the, the 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 thing is what you're going through there is exactly what you get out of working with a coach because someone can literally look at it from a um from like an objective manner and say okay Can we try this? Can we try that? But if you're just like someone that's looking after all their own nutrition, it makes being so objective just like really, 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 really hard. So how can someone like who's not got a coach um, try and implement some of these strategies? Um, Yeah, do you know what I'm trying to say? Without without, without the sort of like, having the we will track the the continuum um we will link it below but do you know i mean how can how what they need to find out a way that they can eat um that aligns with their goals but isn't really stressful and that's quite hard to do without a coach and obviously not everyone can afford to have a coach so what do you reckon is some ways that they could look at their sort of like their nutritional intake and, and, and find some ways to to implement some of those strategies themselves
1: in, 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 that, that, that is a hard one as well right because there's a, there's a number of issues with that um, firstly when you're basically starving yourself to some regard you know you put yourself in a caloric deficit it's very hard to be objective with yourself and then obviously people have very subjective feelings on hunger and um, energy and mood and the scale and how they're feeling and then they make irrational decisions because the scale's not moving all that kind of stuff so that's very hard and then also We know when it comes to food intakes that for a lot of people, they will swear blind that they're only eating a certain amount of calories or eating a certain way, but it's subconscious overeating, right? They're unknowingly non-adherent, and we know that actually happens in the the kind of brain structures that are below conscious reasoning. That's where it is very, very hard. So I think with with people that are going to um, track or kind of coach themselves, you do have to have some sort of objective markers that you're going to use. So, uh, to start off with, it is kind of tracking stuff, I suppose, tracking scale weight, seeing you know, how it goes up and down, tracking your hunger, tracking your mood and your energy, and then having to make some some smaller changes up and down based on that. But for most people, if you can identify the low hanging fruit, the kind of rate limited, the thing that stops you. Um, you know puts you in that caloric surplus or stops you you know takes you out of your deficit if you can identify that and then you can try and think literally just as a problem solver don't think of it in terms in scientific terms or that kind of stuff just think there's something that i'm doing that makes me eat more calories than i want to eat at this current time what would be some of the simplest things that i could do to stop myself from doing that does that make so you know simple things like okay if there's a if there's a birthday in the office and someone's always bringing in cake two options one you always say no which is quite hard, or you have the cake and you have like an if-then strategy. If I eat cake at lunch, then I will remove the carbohydrates from my tea. Something as simple as that might give them a little solution to help them deal with the, the different situations. So um, I would say it's a very difficult thing to do when you're on your own and it is worth trying to invest in the coach if you can. Um, and it, it, if you can't, then it's a case of trying to identify the most um, risky or the things that are limiting your progress the most. What's causing you to overeat or are you are going to remove? And then from there, you can look to try and come up with some creative problem solving. And, uh, and the one thing I would say with that as well is also try and give yourself a bit of a break. Know that willpower is a limited resource. You can't just um, will your way to it. And a lot of people say your physiology will fight you. So at some point, it's that case of st- taking a step back um, knowing that not all the time should be a dieting phase so if you are banging your head against the wall not making any progress it might be the best thing to step back stop, you know, increase your training capacity a little bit enjoy all that kind of stuff and then when you're feeling better again step back in but it is, that's a really tough question and I wish I had a better answer because if we did we'd probably help a lot of people but unfortunately I'm not clever enough
2: no, I think that was an excellent answer mate thank you very much for that yeah. I think that leads really really nicely um, into what, um, what diet fatigue is so could you go know into a little bit about, about
1: that for Yeah, sure. So this goes into this idea that um, as we start creating a cal- calorie, sorry, calorie deficit and we start losing weight, um, your body will naturally fight you in a number of ways, basically, because from an evolutionary standpoint, if it was so easy just to create a 500 calorie deficit and you just continue to lose weight, then that rambling story I said about 3.8 billion years of us for, following through our, fore, um, our forebears wouldn't have happened because we'd have died out. So your, your body has a number of ways, normally by lowering energy expenditure a little bit, but the big one is increasing your hunger um, quite rapidly. So based on some studies, uh, they reckon that for every one kilogram of body weight you lose, you increase your appetite by roughly 100 calories per day. So as you start to um, lose weight, let's say you lose five kilos, you lose about 20 to 30 calories of um, energy expenditure. So you're about 150 calories less off in terms of what you're burning. But well, now you are about 500 calories more hungry. So we create this big gap between you know, calories that you're burning is coming down, your desired um, energy intake is going up. And so the, the bigger the gap between those two, the larger the amount of effort it takes to maintain your current intake. Does that make sense so far? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Cool. So, and we, we know, doesn't matter what the diet is, in the early phases of dieting, most people can stick to anything, right? They're, they're motivated enough for a couple of weeks or whatever, and they'll stick to it. But over time, this energy gap between what you want to eat and, and the amount of calories that you're expending will basically take a toll on you and it will build up a fatigue in that you just don't want to keep doing this dieting thing you're hungry you're tired maybe you're lethargic you want to go out with friends and enjoy more calories depending on whatever it is that you're doing and it comes to a certain point where you become less adherent to your diet you're no longer able to stick to your diet in the same way that you could on day one so think of day one of a diet if i said to everyone listening now we're going to do the start of your diet and you're only going to have 500 calories a day day one we could probably all do it day two starts getting a bit harder, day three even more difficult because our diet fatigue is starting to build. Like I said, the rate this will build will depend on the size of your deficit. But what this basically means is that we cannot continue to um, diet in a linear manner with the same size deficit and all those kind of things before we need to actually take a step back and say, hey, we need a little bit of time to recover from all this before we can push hard again. And a really easy parallel to this is training. If we got everybody training six days a week really, really hard, uh, after a certain amount of time, some fatigue would build up. Um, you know, general fatigue, we wouldn't be able to train as hard as we wanted to. We'd be going in the gym, we wouldn't be lifting weights well, you know, we'd maybe not be uh, the same aerobic level. And so we'd need to take basically a deload. We'd need to take a time of less intense training to allow us to recover. So then when we go back into the next training block, we're ready again. And it's the same thing with your diet. After a certain point, you get fed up of being restricted, being tired, being hungry, whatever we want to um, think of it as. And we no longer have the ability to stick to our diet, even if we really, really want to. And we need to be able to take a a nutritional deload, if that makes sense.
3: How long does it take to sort of normalize, like you say, if you lose five kilos or like a kilo, 100 calories, more hungry you are? How long would that take generally for someone who went into a sort of a maintenance phase to kind of normalize back to where you roughly
1: expect it to be? I don't think there's a hard and fast answer with that, Tom. I think if we look at things like The Biggest Loser, where people have lost huge amounts of weight, actually it doesn't really go back. But the main thing to say with that is that those people that have kept weight off after something like The Biggest Loser—they're still probably hungry. They're still not burning as many calories as somebody who's never lost weight, but they've just found behaviours that allow them to stick to their their energy requirements still. Yeah. So you know, things like the, the, these kind of energy gaps that are created. Um, for people who have lost large amounts of weight, they're probably going to be there until they go back to the weight they were before, but for, uh, but you can still manage them. So, you know, it, it's about managing behaviors, not necessarily adaptations. But for somebody who's, I don't know, like you guys, you know, let's say you want to get super lean and you're obviously going to be a bit hungry for a little bit, and maybe a little bit lethargic right towards the end, it's either going to be as soon as you get back to a decent level of body fat or, you know, you can get enough calories within the system to maintain what you're doing. So it's a bit of a, there's no really hard and fast answers with that I'm afraid but we should know really for most people if they're within you know a decent level of body fat it shouldn't be a a huge thing so it's not like you know if I'm 20 kilos overweight and I lose five kilos that I should be absolutely ravenous all the time and I'm burning no calories whatsoever that's not the case those those adaptations are fairly small there is a limit to them Um, but long term for people that have been reduced obese or lost more than 10% of their body weight it looks like a lot of those adaptations are um, maintained, but we just help people. If you, again, look at the National Weight Loss Registry in America, people that have lost, like, 30 pounds it off for years. They just find behaviours that allow them to manage that hunger and that energy expenditure. So they do slightly more exercise, they eat slightly more filling foods, voluminous foods, protein, all that kind of stuff that allows them to manage it. So you're not a, a prisoner to those mm-hmm. um, adaptations, if that makes
3: sense. I think that's probably where, like, actually really enjoying training is is a massive part of the whole thing like I said training doesn't tend to like make a massive dent or like create a massive calorie deficit for most people but if you can get them to a point where they're actually pretty strong they've got like decent level of conditioning they've got the capacity to be able to burn more calories in particular they enjoy doing stuff like going for a run going for a cycle like doing stuff that does burn more calories they're then in a much better position to be able to maintain going forwards are off the back of a dieting phase I, th- I think that's sort of like the perspective we kind of take on a lot of the sort of the coaching that we do is we want it to be as enjoyable as possible so people whether they're in a dieting phase whether they're in maintenance whether they're trying to build muscle, or whatever it is that like they enjoy the training throughout and obviously we, we know that when you're in a deficit it's not quite as it's not quite as fun it's harder but if you, if you enjoy it throughout and you build that capacity, then you've got the kind of like you said, you've got those behaviors, you've got those kind of tools in the bag to be able to like maintain it long term.
1: Massively. So it's quite funny, actually, though, if you look at the research, so weight uh, exercise isn't great for weight loss, but it is actually quite linked into weight loss maintenance. Mm-hmm. So helping people to maintain their weight loss after they've lost it. And there's a number of reasons I think that might be. So, one of them is kind of like the energy flux model. So, basically, people that exercise are better able to manage their energy intake to match their exercise levels than people who are a little bit more uh, sedentary. Um, and so, I, I posted a video a while back called like the um, exercise um, training paradox in terms of most people, personal trainers, I would actually do amazingly well, I think, in my opinion, by. When they first get somebody in for training, if we understand that actually the training is really bad for, or not a very good tool for uh, weight loss, and I always love an analogy, and the analogy I give is um, selling exercise for weight loss is like buying an iPhone for a, a paperweight. It can do the job, but it not, it, it's quite limited. It, it's just far more powerful for a million other things, right? It's, it's fucking incredible, but it's just not great for weight loss. But as a personal trainer, if I can get somebody in when they first come in and take up a little of their motivation... From training, so they can really focus it towards their diet. A, they're going to get better results because they've got more. You know, they're creating a bit bigger deficit through their nutrition. But then that gives me time to then start helping them fall in love with the process of exercise. So then long term they stick with it, and then they see all those amazing benefits that you'll have seen with your clients, where they go, "No, I can pick things up now. I've got less ache. I've got more energy." And they stick. in They stick to this exercise thing long term, which actually helps them with their weight loss maintenance, as opposed to what. The industry norm is sometimes they go, oh, you want to lose weight? Well, we'll do that through exercise. We'll beast the fuck out of you and we'll burn loads of calories with these battle ropes and these box jumps. And guess what that does? Well, we know that most people will probably go back and do less exercise, sorry, less movement for the rest of the day. So they're 23-hour or the 23-hour energy expenditure will come down, they'll compensate by eating more, and then they are getting a pretty shitty result. So actually, yeah, one of the best things we can do as personal trainers from the off, if somebody's goal is weight loss, is actually make the training as fun, as enjoyable as possible, because A, they've got more motivation to do their diet, or more willpower left, depletion of ego, and then long-term, they're doing this exercise thing, which helps keep weight off. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you, mate. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting, actually. you um, like talking about it in terms of thinking of it is really good for weight loss maintenance, just sort of extends it. It's like another phase of the diet, so it's really important that you built that level of exercise beforehand, because then as you move into the like maintenance phase, it's still a tool that is part of the diet, because at that point, you're then using it as as a tool for weight loss maintenance. Not
1: 100%, much. Like because otherwise, like I said, so what happens, people come in, they're, the tri- trainer gives them the trademark sawdust diet, makes them do the kettlebell swings, makes them do the, the the battle ropes and all the kind of like lactic acid type stuff that might get a little bit of a better energy expenditure. We'll see. Um, and they kind of lose some weight. But then if we get these kind of adaptations, less neat, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. They're less walking around. They're a little bit more hungry. They tend to reward themselves with a little bit more food after exercise subconsciously. It's called a license to eat. And then they stop losing weight, and they go, "Well, I'm not doing this fucking exercise thing that I hate if I'm not losing weight. Cause I'm only doing it for that, and I don't get that anyway. So fuck this shit. I'm off." Whereas if we could have them fall in love with it from those first six weeks, we're onto a far better winner for everyone's long term health, your business, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's helping them fall in love with exercise because long term, it's a big part of the puzzle massively.
0: So you mentioned using diet breaks and some other tools. Um, like nutritional periodization of tools. So how proactive are you in planning using them? Or are you fairly reactive, like you wait for a client's weight loss to stall, or for that diet fatigue to build up and then you start employing some of these tools?
1: Yeah, so that's really cool. So um, when we look at diet breaks, you can be quite rigid and there's things like the Matador study, for example, that looked at two weeks caloric restriction, two weeks maintenance, two weeks caloric restriction. Or you can do it in a little bit more reactive manner. So for me personally, I'd rather say, you know, um, when's like really hectic at work or when's really hectic for the kids or when, when are you struggling the most? So when have you got less capacity to focus on your diet? Or maybe you're away on holiday. Maybe that's a great time to be um, have a diet break. So we can be proactive both in a structured manner or slightly more um, a looser manner based on their, their schedule. Or we can be a little bit more think of training again more auto regulatory in terms of saying look i know we planned on doing this thing but you 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 seem fatigued, you seem quite tired how about bringing calories up for a week and see how we feel and i think that that only really works when we look at diet breaks and look at some of the first studies from like wing and stuff like that is um, especially if someone's new to it they'll only really accept it if they know it's going to happen um before it does if that makes sense so if I've got somebody new and they've always been used to dieting and I talk about this thing like a diet break they need to know that that's already part of the plan that's structured in however when people get a little bit um further down the line and they understand the process then they get a little bit better going actually Greg I think now's a good time to probably take a diet break I'm feeling this way you know well I felt this way before a bit tired I'm not really sticking to my plan the way I was might be a good idea to take a diet break but um I think this this can all be cleared up with a lot of people if it's front loaded, so you mm. say to them, you know, in this weight loss phase, this is how you're going to feel. And um, they will get to a certain point when, you know, you don't want to do this thing. And we can either stop the phase or we can take a diet break, bring your calories back up in whichever way we so choose. And then we can push on from there. So they know it's going to happen. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely, mate. Cool. Very concise. Yeah, that's an excellent answer. <laughs> <laughs> class, mate,
1: honestly. Really, really. I mean, I mean that, that's, that's thinking of it. Um, and this is kind of a curse of knowledge, right? Cause I know what I'm trying to explain. It's already in my head, but for somebody listening, it might be a bit more difficult, but we can basically do that. I'm thinking there on a week level, right? So let's say it's a six week block of dieting. And I could literally say to someone, we're going to diet for six weeks, or I might say to someone, we're going to diet for somewhere between six and 10 weeks, depending on how you're feeling. And when we need to, we'll take a diet break. So that's on on, on a weekly basis. But then if we think on a daily basis, you can do something like a refeed or you can borrow calories or you can change the approach based on how they're feeling. And again, that can be done um, in a very structured way. So on Tuesdays, you know, you might be like, well, on Tuesdays, I coach clients from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Therefore, that might be a really good day just to do something really simple with my nutrition. However, on other days when I'm in the office and doing more work, I'm really bored, I might do something else with my nutrition. So on a daily basis, we can do things differently. On a weekly basis, we can do things differently. And on a monthly basis, we can do things differently. But it's all just creative problem-solving, right? Some people might go, Greg, too complicated. I just want the same intake every day of the week, the same approach. Uh, and that's absolutely fine for that.
2: So um, obviously, your, um, your, your diet breaks actually create... Um, Physiological changes in terms of um, what what you can achieve um, energy expenditure wise day to day. Um, are those refeeds doing anything like that or are they just for psychological benefits?
1: Yeah, cool. So um, if we think of diet breaks as deload weeks, as we said in training, if we think of our refeed days, so single or multiple days of Basically, back up to maintenance calories. That's a little bit like a light day of training, an active recovery day. That's the way I think of it, right? You can train hard, you can push hard on certain calorie deficits, but you need certain um, days where you're training a little bit easier. Same thing with our diet. And when you start thinking of it in this regard, I'm like, why the fuck did we think that everyone could just diet all the do the same thing all the time? You're like, we don't do this physiologically with anything else. Why? Why diet? But to answer your question, Ali. Um, From a lot of the research has shown when we do these kind of higher refeeds, the energy expenditure was increased by about 7%, but the amount of calories you've had to kind of Mm -hmm. obviously create that kind of refeed kind of negates the extra 7% increase. So for a lot of people, just a very short refeed, one to two days, maybe three days, that will probably be far more of a psychological benefit than it will be a physiological benefit. But that's not to say that you know we refill glycogen stores so they can go train hard again just the psychological release of going and having some more food, less restriction, that might you know, lower cortisol a little bit so they feel a little better, they sleep a little bit better, they train a little bit better. So it could definitely get some, some physiological benefits, but I still think the, the research is saying that most of them are psychological benefits. But they're, they're very much interlinked, right? We can't just pull them apart and say that they're, they're separate.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely, mate. As well. But yeah, the, the, the way you've broken all down, mate, is just um, genius, really. You're
1: a boss. Well done. <laughs> uh, appreciate it, mate. Um, like it was funny because I was, <clears throat> I kind of had this idea, and I was thinking like, how do we try and support people on like from every level, right? From watching, watching main goal. How do we break it up and into all the individual days? Uh, and it was basically chatting to Danny Lennon, and he had similar kind of thought processes. And then when he's, I'm lucky, right, because I get paid by Lift the Bar to sit down and think of this stuff. Whereas everyone else is going and doing actual jobs. So like <laughs> I, I get <laughs> I get time to sit down, dig into some of the research and start trying to extrapolate or box up some of my thoughts to make it a little bit easier for people. And I really hope for sort of trainers or people who train themselves now are listening, going, Okay, I get the idea of having kind of like recovery days or easier days, I get the idea of having deloads, that makes sense. I get the idea of, you know, some phases of strength, some phases of more aerobic work, and it'd be the same thing with our diet. So yeah, I, it, it ends up coming, sounding like I'm quite clever, but it's just I've had more time to think about it really <laughs> than anyone else. That kind of thing where, you know, when they say about monkeys, if monkeys just typed, eventually they could randomly come up with Shakespeare. That's kind of what I'm like. I just, <laughs> yeah. no one's 99 shit ideas that I've had. and They just get to talk about the one good idea that
2: yeah, That had, so. that That takes into account that the monkeys will type forever. You've only had a very finite set, <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. set of years to come up with a really <laughs> genius strategy. So you've done a good yeah. job, mate. You're better than a monkey anyway. <laughs> oh, you just got that down, you on that's going me. on the TV. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, you could have... Used... <laughs> It could have, we could have written. It, it could
0: just be that one time that the monkey just immediately banged out William and yeah. Juliet. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should probably
3: exactly. say that the the reason we got Greg on wasn't just because Becky told us to. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's also got great biceps. That yeah, is the main driver. Oh, that
2: was the question, <laughs> Greg, how did you build such phenomenal biceps?
1: Genuinely, just have to shit everything else, and then your arms look decent. Like that's the way
3: to do it. Look a... good by comparison.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> your arms <laughs> are probably going to be out the, out the most in a T-shirt. So you spend all your time making those look jacked. And then everyone will just think you're jacked. Yeah.
1: That's it. People it's, are it. But it's, it's really one of those really weird anomalies. So kind of a half decent point to come out of this. Whenever we look at research, we always talk about means. And like there are obviously very big individual differences. And so, for example, my arms probably get three or four sets a week at most – I get like the most sore I get the most pump out of doing them I get like the most training response compared to like other body parts I just don't get them so people will look at that outlier and go oh how do you get better the x y and z it's like don't know don't actually know. <laughs> like, it's like, like oh, everyone it's everyone's just got different shit that's they're slightly better at than others yeah now you should
0: have packaged that up oh, mate the painted Greg Slater bicep method <laughs> <laughs> only do three sets
2: of arms a week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Mate, I don't think anyone would buy it, but fuck it, I'll have a
2: (laughs) go. Just, just just sit down for the next four years (laughs) and try to (laughs) wheelchair yourself around, mate. Get triceps and as well. (laughs) And just come up with the best bicep training plan. That would probably be two triceps,
3: mate. You will have to like set ropes up through your house so you can like pull yourself. (laughs) Like
2: it. Like it. So, anything else you want to go through? Trying to think of how you could just like. Go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> you just go backwards, it's sort of like.
3: Ali's imagining you wheeling backwards around your house for the next few years.
2: <laughs> yeah, backwards is out. Yeah, that would work.
3: <laughs> Might sound. not be the most enjoyable existence. Yeah, the sound effects are essential. Yeah. Fair play, mate. Now that was quality. Thank you so much for your time. It was very useful No worries. If you could give one piece of advice to someone listening, what would
1: it be? Um, yeah, so uh, this is the kind of answer, right? I reckon seven years ago, I'd have just hated myself for giving because I, I was just like, why are you giving that? It's like everyone says that kind of shit, but that, that peak day? of having having a bit of gratitude like every single day and there's like a load of things, I think like I've got a nine-month-old son now and that changes you a lot. But a uh, really easy example really bad toothache couldn't sleep every single night all I gave a shit about was like getting rid of this toothache and then like now I haven't got it it'd be easy to forget about how bad it was but actually just thinking I go shit I ain't got toothache or no my knees my knees on the mend right and I'm getting there but I was so uh blase about my health you know being fully healthy being able to do what the hell I wanted when I was healthy and only when you get injured do you go oh shit how cool was it when actually I could do everything I wanted to do and I think in a physical capacity, that's massive because there will become a day when we can't do those things that we decide not to do now. The choice we've taken out of our hands. So having that kind of gratitude that you are healthy enough to go and make the choice to go and work out and do the things that you want to do is absolutely massive, actually. And I think if, if we all did that, and you know, we're all focused on what's coming next or what's the next thing, if we can all just stop and uh, smell the flowers a little bit, I think we'd all be a little bit happier. Yeah, definitely.
0: Do you actually... Um have a sort of formal way of doing that? Do you do like a gratitude diary or do you just try and make an effort to sort of appreciate things?
1: Yeah, Yeah, like, no, I don't really have a... I don't know, I think that's a bit stale, a bit you know sterile to be like oh I'm, I'm gonna sit down and really just every now and again just try and sit down and think wow this is no, i'm pretty cool like i've got a like a wife i love i've got a, a kid i love i've got a job i really enjoy i'm healthy and just you know and it, it might be something as simple as you know you did a set or an exercise and you're you knackered you finish your workout on the floor you're like wow that was a bit shit but also i'm pretty lucky to be able to have done that do you know what i mean just try and stop it and, and just every now and again catch yourself even you know just, just just, to think, and this is a little bit of the negative side of it, I suppose, that makes you think of it. But, um, you know, I, I'm a, like we were saying in the intro, there's there's five of us siblings, everyone's kind of happily married and all that kind of stuff. But on average, at least three of us will probably get divorced, right? At this current stage, we're in this great place where we can all meet up at weekends and we can have family meals and all that kind of stuff. At some point, statistically, there's a very good chance that that won't happen uh, and, and you'll lose parents and all that kind of thing. So it's just trying to take stock of how good you've got it and uh, enjoying it a little bit I think and like I said I think if we all did that would be pretty sick
2: yeah that's lush mate yes. yeah it's classic I think the world would be a much better place if everyone just like appreciated what they actually had got
1: but the, the society we live in we don't do we? we're all mm. almost programmed to look at somebody who's got this other lifestyle and we look at what we don't have as opposed to what we do have yeah. uh, and I just think that, that's why I really like what you guys you know, do you kind of promote just Community and join yourself. You know the promote the positive things without having to go and like shit on other people or what other people are doing. It's all about you and your connections and where you're living your life. And I think that's if more people did that. So that's uh, no. I know this is your podcast, but like that's the thing that you guys do so amazingly well. Is like you celebrate the the. the the gateway that physicality has to everything else, like community, like going and living your life and visiting places, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to just an exercise in the gym. And I think that's just fucking so cool. So the more people that can get on the uh, the hybrid bandwagon, the better. No, oh, thanks, hey, man. So hey, that's,
2: that's Lush. Really, thank you, me thank you so much, mate. <laughs> you <laughs> very, very, very cleverly. No drama. My too, it's my pleasure. It's
1: not <laughs> particularly hard to do. But... <laughs> no,
0: that's Lush. Thank you so much, mate.
1: Yeah. Uh, my pleasure, my pleasure
0: yeah and thank oh, you so much for staying mate
3: yeah staying quality, has been yeah, excellent
2: that, that sets it up in a really nice way mate so thank you ever so much Greg you've been an absolute boss no worries hey, we started off thought,
1: with the old dinosaur comment but I think we pulled it back <laughs> yeah you did actually
2: uh, I mean you've already been through it but just let people know where they can find more about your stuff
1: uh, yeah so um, lift the bar LiftTheBar.com, two week free trial. You can come and literally do the whole course, not do it within 13 days, don't pay us a penny. <laughs> um, but I, I'm on I'm on Instagram badly. I'm not on, I'm very intermittent on it. But Greg with a double G underscore LTB. If you've got any questions on anything that you've listened to today and you want a bit of help, just drop me a line. I'm happy to help. Thanks, mate. We'll link them below as well. Excellent. Sweet. Cool.
0: If you could also, by the way, um, send us the link to that uh, okay, document notes. you mentioned, and we'll link that below as well.
1: Yeah, will do, gents. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, brother. Cheers, mate. Yeah, bye-bye, bye-bye.